we are live. Welcome all you that are joining us and uh, those of you that get this podcast or watch this broadcast sometime, we thank you for joining us. <clears throat> thank you for God's word and what it means to us and we want to share that with the world. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and mercy. Thank you for not forsaking us. You said you'd never leave us nor forsake us. You'd be with us to the end. And we put our confidence and trust in your word. You cannot lie. And we honor you tonight, Lord. And we pray that as we take in your word and your direction, that all of us, myself included, that we'll leave here a little more like you and less like ourselves. The world don't need to see us. The world needs to see you. And we just pray, God, that you would let that happen in our lives. May you come out of our lives to others in Christ's name. Amen. So... We'll give you a few things out of Job, then we're going to jump into something else. We're going to spring out of Job here uh, because of something he says. And uh, we'll get into something uh, that I think you need to hear tonight. So let's go to Job 13 and 15. This is where we left off, Job 13 and 15, and uh, see what he's saying here. This is a powerful statement from a man who's under the load that he's under and uh, something for all of us to admire I think Um, he says uh, though he slay me yet will I trust him and the question for all of us is that where you're at are we there are we in a spot to where now you got to realize Job has lost it all he's down in He's way down. And his thought here at this moment is, even if he slays me, I'm going to stay with him. And uh, that's a powerful thought from a man that's lost everything like him. Uh, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. He also shall be my salvation, for a hypocrite could not come before him. You got Job's trying to, he, he thinks there's something wrong too. He just don't know what it is. His friends think there's something wrong with him. And Job thinks there's something wrong. He just don't see it in him. He don't think there's anything wrong between him and God. And he's right about that. But he still thinks there's something wrong. And he's open to that. I mean, this is a real honest uh, introspective man. I mean, he's trying to be as open and honest and real as he can. To these guys' defense, maybe defense is the wrong word, they're looking at a guy that everybody thought was the man, spiritually and every other way. Now he's at the bottom, and they can't figure it out either. So none of these guys are really wanting to blame God for anything, which is a good thing, Right? They just can't figure it out. So if there's something wrong, it's got to be something wrong with Job. And that's kind of how they're coming at it. And you can understand why they are thinking that way. And Job is like, I can't figure out what's between me and God, but there's got to be something wrong. And then God's just using Job. But none of them know all that, right? And we've talked about that a lot. And he says, uh, uh, he also shall be my salvation, for a hypocrite could not come before him. Listen carefully to my speech and to my declaration with your tears. See now, I've prepared my case. I know that I shall be vindicated. Who is he 
Who is he who will contend with me? If now I hold my tongue, I perish. Only two things do not do to me. Then I will not hide myself from you. Withdraw your hand far from me. And let not the dread of you make me afraid. Now what's he saying there? He's saying, i got to have what I've got with you. No matter that I've lost everything else. And that's where we all have to come to, I think, in our lives. We have to come to that spot to where if we lose everything, we're going to hang on to our relationship with the Lord. That's the most important thing in our lives. And he makes a statement here, and I want to spring off of this for tonight. He says, withdraw your hand. He said, I don't want you, only two things do, do, do not do to me. Don't withdraw your hand far from me. I've said this probably for the last 20 years. The worst thing that could happen to America is for God to take his hands off of us and say, have at it. You guys do your own thing. And that's a lot of times what judgment is. Judgment is when God just simply withdraws himself. When he withdraws himself from us, and that's what Job's asking for him not to do. He said, I I won't be able to make it if you do that. And we know he didn't withdraw himself from him. He told the devil, you've got access here, but you can't take his life. So he said, I'm standing guard right here. And if you'll remember when we talk about the Passover, when they came out of Egypt, and the time we celebrate Passover is the time we celebrate Easter as well, That's the same, they coincide in the same season there. When you read the word where it says God passed over or Pesach is the Hebrew word. It means God didn't just, the death angel didn't just pass by, but God was actually hovering over the houses that had the blood applied. So God was protecting them from the death angel. What's the Bible say in Proverbs? That God is, His angels encamp around those who fear Him to deliver them. So that's what happened on the night of Passover. God was hovering over those homes and wouldn't let the death angel come in where the blood had been applied. This is a type of salvation. So all that is pictures of God's protection. Now if God withdraws His protection, that's when nations, people, communities, that's when they get in trouble. There are three kinds of judgment in the Scripture. There's personal judgment, there's regional judgment, and there's national judgment. And then there'll be a final judgment where the whole world gets judged. But all through the Scripture, and I believe even now, there are pockets of judgment that happen. God may judge an individual. He may judge a community. Or He may judge a nation. And we've seen that all through history. And we're going to continue to see that until that final day of reckoning when God actually judges the whole world. And that day's coming soon. That's why we keep this hourglass up here to remind us how close we are to the end of the age. So, tomorrow at sundown starts what the Jews call Teshuva. And I'm going to use my board some tonight. This word... um, here. I 
pen's not writing for some reason. See if I can write with my finger. No. Well, I'm out of ink. Anyway, teshuva, uh, teshuva, is the word, Hebrew word that means to return. And there's a word in the middle of that. It's shuv or shuv, and it means to turn. To turn. We have to have the teacher to come. Uh, the uh, teshuva means to return or to repent. Now, it's, it's 40 days of returning to the Lord. So when this came about every year for Israel, they would start tomorrow and 30 days ahead of the Feast of Trumpets. That's why I've got this shofar, but there's more to this shofar that I'm getting ready to tell you. Okay? That... <clears throat> Thank you. So, this word is teshuva. And it means to return. And you could say repent. And the, the, the word in the middle there, shuv, means to turn. So what, God, what God's people are doing in these 40 days, what they, what they should be doing, is they should be evaluating their lives and seeing where they've kind of strayed from God and returning to that. That's what we call repentance. That starts 30 days out from the Feast of Trumpets, which will happen on the 16th. Actually, it'll start at sundown on the 15th, go into the 16th, run over, spill over. But, and then Yom Kippur is the 25th of September. That's, I'm giving you the dates for this year. So those 40 days will run from tomorrow evening and th through Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. So there's a 40-day span there. And then there's a, the last 10 days from the Feast of Trumpets through Yom Kippur are called the Days of Awe. And that's kind of like the countdown for people they were to get right with God and make sure they had mended their ways with God. During this time, this shofar would be blown every day as a reminder for them to get ready, as a reminder of judgment, as a reminder that God was going to have a time of reckoning. This shofar, this is an actual ram's horn. Now those you see, and we have one here that is spread, that's a man-made one that's Made like that because it sounds better. Uh, you can do more with it. But this is an actual ram's horn and that's been turned into shofar. And it, it's got this turn in it, right? That was another reason they used it was it, for, it was to remind her for everybody to turn. I read an account of a, a shoe cobbler, a, a, a Jewish shoe cobbler. And somebody came by his cobbler place uh, this is an old story, came by where he would mend shoes and said to him, they said, uh, he was standing in the window with not doing anything. And he said, they said, uh, he said, ah, uh, do you have nothing to mend? And his response was, the day of judgment is near and I haven't even mended myself in response to what we're talking about here. So why would I bring this up to Christians? I'm going to tell you why. Because I believe God 
wants us to evaluate our lives and make sure that we're not straying. Right? What did Paul say in Hebrews? Lest we let things slip. And it happens, don't it? It can happen to any of us. We can kind of let things slip in our Christian walk. Whether it's time with the Lord or witnessing to others. Whatever. We can allow things to slip and we can drift and stray. And if you don't chart your course with God's Word, you'll get off course. You will. And before we had modern technology, guys who ran ships, they had compass and they would take their maps and their compass out, chart their course in the morning, and then in the evening before they would set anchor, they would get all that out again and chart their course again to make sure they'd stayed on course. And that's kind of a lesson, I think, for us. Start your day with God, end your day with God. Give Him some time. Remember what we talked about Sunday? The word, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. The word diligent means somebody who don't neglect Him, right? So God is is calling us. Now, this is a response to when God turned from destroying Israel. Their response was, if God's willing to turn and not destroy us, then we should be willing to turn back to Him. Now see, none of us have gotten what we deserve. And it's believed that when Daniel confronted Nebuchadnezzar, that Daniel was confronting Nebuchadnezzar in the time of Teshuva, this season of return. And God basically said to him, He said, if you'll repent and turn, you'll be spared. But he didn't. And 12 months later, right full circle back around, he gets judged and he gets sent out with the wild beast for seven years. He could have avoided that had he turned to the Lord. And I think that's the message of the gospel, right? The message of the gospel is that God wants us to turn from our own ways and turn to Him. So this is a response uh, to God from His people that they should turn back to Him. So the Feast of Trumpets, uh, the Feast of Trumpets is what we use to illustrate the rapture. So let me go with this. And you've seen this probably some. But there are four feasts, the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, and and the Feast of Pentecost. And then after that, there's the Feast of Trumpets. That's the one we're looking at next month. The Feast of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. So these four feasts are the early rain. They happen in the spring. Then the, 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 the uh, harvest starts at Pentecost and they go to the Feast of Trumpets. Is the fall, that kicks off the fall harvest. So the harvest starts here, runs all the way through this time. God's harvesting His people. This Feast of Trumpets is what we associate with the rapture. Jesus fulfilled these ver- first four feasts with His life. He fulfilled them while he was here on earth, he fulfilled them on the very days and weeks that they happened. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an unbelievable phenomenon. Jesus was the Passover lamb. He was the unleavened bread without sin. 
He was the first fruits of the resurrection to eternal life. And He sent the Holy Spirit back. The, his ascension was what triggered the Holy Spirit coming in His fullness. So Him going back to the Father and sending the Holy Spirit, that was the fulfillment of Pentecost. He did every one of these on the days that they happened. Now think about that. The Lord fulfilled all of these festivals on the very days they happened. He's going to do the same with these. To stretch that and say that He wouldn't would be crazy. You wouldn't get by with that in any laboratory. If you said A's A, B's B, C's C, D's D, E's E, F, F's, uh, or E's not E, and F's not F, and G's not G, you couldn't say that all this is true and then come over here and say, no, nah, this probably won't happen. So the Lord has been harvesting since Pentecost. 3,000 people were saved on Pentecost. And since Pentecost, the harvest has been going on. And the harvest will run through the tribulation period because Israel will be born will be saved during that time. And Paul, or excuse me, John said in Revelation, a number that no man could number will come out of the, that's been redeemed will come out of the great tribulation, out of every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation. So the Holy Spirit's still going to be working, still going to be saving. The harvest is going to go through the Feast of Trumpets all the way into Yom Kippur. The Feast of Trumpets is when the true believer that's died in Christ or is still alive will be what we call raptured out or called up is what the Greek word. The Greek word is hapogeisimathen. You're going to run across those people who don't study. I'll just be as blunt as I can. And they'll say, well, the word rapture ain't in the Bible, right? And they'll, they'll use that to say that, but the concept is, right? We don't have a lot of words in English that are the same word as the Hebrew. We have to translate that stuff over here. So what happens is the Bible was first trans, was written in Hebrew and Greek. Then it was translated first in Latin. The word in Latin that means to be called up, which is what the Greek word means, is hapogeisomatha. The Greek word is hapo, that's a big long word, like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. You remember that? It's a big long word and it means to be called up, to pluck, be plucked out, or snatched out. So the Latins translated that to their word rapturo. Okay? So sometimes, instead of coming up with our own word, or if we don't have a word like the Hebrew and Greek does, then we borrow it. Right? So if your name is David, you have a Hebrew name. We just borrowed that word and brought it over. They would say it David, but it's the same as David. So you would, we don't always do that with every word. A lot of words we translate them into our language. Some we just borrowed. That's what we did with rapturo. We borrowed it from the Latin. We call it rapture and brought it on over. But they all mean the same thing. They mean to pluck, to snatch out, to be pulled out. So the Lord is going to come back, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and those of us that are alive remain will be called up together to be with the Lord. Now the Bible is explicit in telling us that we don't know the day nor the hour. But Paul is also very adamant about saying that you should know the season and that you and I as believers should not be caught off guard that that day would catch us unawares, he says. So in other words, we should know that. So 
as we see this day approaching, this time of year, I really get, maybe giddy is the right word. My wife and I talk about it a lot. We talk about the Lord's coming, and we don't know if He's coming this year or next year or five years from now. We believe it's very soon, but we don't know the day nor the hour, but we do know we're living in that season, okay? Now, the reason I'm trying to illustrate all this to you is right here, just a little bit ahead of the Feast of Trumpets, is when this time of returning to the Lord is brought up. Now, they bring it up here uh, because they, the Hebrews bring it up unbeknownst to them to some degree, although they understand what Yom Kippur means. They understand judgment. They understand standing before the Lord. They understand having eternal life or not having it. They understand all that. They don't understand necessarily in the same context we do because... That if they're a practicing Jew, they don't read the New Testament. So they just live in the Old Testament. And Paul explains that to us in the New Testament, why that happens in Romans chapter 11. And Paul himself was a Jew. He's what we call a, a Messianic Jew or a converted Jew. He saw that Jesus was the Messiah they were waiting for. So the reason this time to, I'm just going to say, uh, to return here, the reason this is so important is because it's something that's good for us to practice. To realize that there's going to be, let's be honest, if you and I did not think when we were going to school that there was going to be some judgment or penalty or price to pay if we didn't study and, and do good, most of us probably would have blew it off. Now, maybe I'm the only, maybe all of you all were perfect students. And you would study. You didn't even do... You never watched TV. You were so committed to studying. But there is a day of reckoning, right? The teacher would say, hey, we're going to have a test Friday, right? Something to get you to focus and be attentive and do what you need to do. So this time is a time for us to... I like to say it this way, to take inventory. And so, let me give you something to think about. Tomorrow evening, at sundown, for the next 40 days, just do it. You don't have to be religious about it. You don't have to be a Jew to practice it. Just say, you know what? Over the next 40 days, I'm going to evaluate my life and see where I'm really at with God. And then, once a week, Every other day, look in the mirror at that person that you are. And after you've had a cup of coffee, man, <laughs> look in that mirror and say, is the person I'm looking at, are they faithful to God? And also, be, look for this. Look to see if you've settled somewhere. If you just got somewhere and you just leveled off and you're not still growing and moving forward. Think about that. Just spend a little time over these next 40 days just evaluating your life. Take a little spiritual inventory. It's good for us. Taking inventory is a good thing for us because we may have let something slip. God may have asked something of us we've forgotten about. Or we may have moved away from things we know we should be attending to. So the reason this is important and the reason this season is important is because 
What we're doing is we're having trial runs, and one day it's going to be the real run, but we're having trial runs for judgment. How serious is it that you and I are going to stand before God someday? How serious is that? Well, let's think about it. The Bible says that we'll have to give an account of every idle word we speak. pretty serious isn't it so I think it's worth taking some inventory because when you and I stand before God all the things that we maybe use here and think that are necessary here none of that's going to be with us it's going to be you and I we each have our turn to give an account of ourselves and to see where we actually stood with God The Bible says that some will be saved as though by fire. That their works will be burned, but they'll get in. That's a a sad commentary, really, isn't it? To have lived your whole life and nothing you've done was worth God keeping any of it. (laughs) Think about it. I mean, the Bible does say that. It said some will be saved as though by fire, that their works will be destroyed, but they'll make it into the kingdom that's kind of like that nursery rhyme right they make it in by the hair of their chinny chin chin that's what it sounds reminds me but you think about that forget well we made it right well yeah you're in but how sad is that to think about everything jesus has done for you and i and nothing we had to bring up there with us was worth him keeping So we shouldn't, we shouldn't live our lives without taking some spiritual inventory. If you uh, do like financial stuff, you know, they challenge you. A good financial advisor will challenge you to take inventory and to see where you're at so you won't be starving someday when you retire. So you'll... Same thing with the doctor, right? They want you to keep a check, right, on things. All of that. It's a funny thing to me that we check on everything that's going to fade away. But we don't necessarily check on the thing that's going to be eternal. Now, I'm not saying, hopefully that's not you and I, but I'm just saying as a, as a whole... We're really concerned about things. This old body, you know, as much as we check on it, it's still going to wear out. And what Solomon say, money can get wings and fly off. But our life, our eternal destination is forever. And so take an inventory. So as you look at your life, where, have, where do you need to pick it up a little bit? Where do you need to get back to something? That maybe you've let go. Because you attending to God has implications, good ones hopefully, that God not only wants you to be around Him and know who He is, but He wants you to impact others in your life, whether it's at home or at work or out in the community. God wants you and I to be vessels that He can work through. And so in order for us to do that, we need to be attentive to Him. So if I took you back to Hebrews 11 and 6, I'm going to take you to a couple of passages here that talk about returning to the Lord. 
But if I took you to Hebrews 11 and 6 again, like we did Sunday morning, it says God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Now the word reward is a Greek word that means, it's an accounting word that means payer of wages, right? I shared that with you, son. In other words, God does things tangible for those who, and when I say tangible, that's probably not the best word, but something that you'll know. God will pay you back in some kind of way if you diligently seek Him. Now, that's, that, that word diligent is a little bit of a struggle for us because when I hear the word diligent in the English language, I think about something that's maybe over the top, right? That's not what that word's saying. We're trying to describe what it's not. The best way to understand that word in the Greek, and that means somebody who don't neglect God. Now, before you get on that bandwagon thing, I, diligently seeking means I don't do anything but just pray all day long. That's not what... God knows you have things to do. He gave you the things you have. It's just like raising a child, right? I, don't, I couldn't spend every waking moment with a child, but I didn't neglect it. I made sure it was fed, it had the things it needs, but sometimes they had to be at school or whatever. They had to do a lot of things on their own, but I didn't neglect them. I didn't spend every waking moment. See, and I think a lot of times people will read a verse like that and they think, well, I can't live that. But that, that word's kind of misleading in our language because we, when we think of somebody being diligent, we think that they're just right there all the time. Now, what I think God is asking of us is to be available to Him at any moment. But He knows you have a family. He knows you have to work. He's the one that told you and I to be fruitful and multiply, right? And so all of that's part of His plan. So God don't expect you to have your face in a Bible 24 hours a day, right? He knows you need rest. What He's asking, I think this takes the load off of us, but also opens the door for us to enjoy God. What He's asking is for us not to neglect Him. Now, how does that look in your life? Right? If we didn't change our children's diapers, or if they went without food for days at a time, or never had a bath and the school finally had to call and say, why don't your children bathe, <laughs> right? or whatever, then that's neglect. But at the same time, I could not spend every waking moment with my children. None of us can do that. We have duties, responsibilities, jobs, things we have to do. But I cannot neglect them. Now when moments of crisis came, then I gave more attention to that, right? And that's how it always works. You, you've seen people go through a moment of crisis and they'll get even closer to God because there's moments like that that draw us in. But when our oldest son had that lung issue and he about died a couple of times on us before God healed him, and God did heal him miraculously when he was five. I mean, we struggled with that for a few years but when Jared was five, the Lord showed up and healed him. But before that, we would crawl in that tent in the hospital. One of us would stay awake all night just to make sure his chest was coming up and down. We didn't want to neglect that, right? We wanted to be, uh, I started to say Johnny on the spot, but we wanted to be Matthew and Amy on the spot, right? Until, you know, <clears throat> God, until God showed up. We wanted to be diligent with him. And that, but God knows you have things to do. God is not a taskmaster. 
He's a father. Now listen to me. If you don't view God as a father, you're going to miss most of what He does. If you just see Him as a boss, as a taskmaster, as a judge, He is a judge. He's going to judge someday. But His whole idea, what a beautiful thing for God to say, I'm going to give you all the notes to the test. I'm giving you all the questions to the test. You've got all the answers in front of you. I loved it when a teacher did that. They said, here's the answers to the test. Every now and then, one of them would do that. Open book, yeah. And look what an open book we have. So this season for us Christians, I'm just asking you to take these next 40 days, starting tomorrow evening, and just take an inventory of your life. And just be real with yourself. You don't have to get out on the street corner and talk about it with nobody because you have direct access to the Father. You don't have to come to the preacher and talk about it. You can if you like, if you need some sounding board. But you have direct access to the Father. That's why the veil was rent. And just go work it out with Him and say, Lord, I've been letting up here. I'm ready to step into that. I'm sorry. I repent. Whatever. Now, let me show you. Let's go to Hosea chapter 6 because this is prophetic. And this is also... Um, talking about returning in Hosea, just right past Daniel there. In Hosea chapter 6, this is a prophetic statement in verse 1 and 2. Listen to what Israel says. They use this word to return here, this Hebrew word we're talking about. Come and let us return to the Lord. Now, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble. And I don't want anybody to feel guilty, but let's, let's, Bible says, let's not a man think more highly of himself than he ought, right? We all are going to find ourselves at times in our lives when we need to return to God. Where we've let something slip. And that's what Paul talks about in Hebrews, lest we let those things we know slip. And so here... The children of Israel are saying, Come, let us return to the Lord. And listen to what he said. For he's torn, but he will heal us. He didn't destroy them. He disciplined them. Big difference. Right? His hand's still at work. Right? He has stricken, but he will bind us up. The same God that may be wounded them to get their attention. Right? was there to heal that once their attention was given back to Him. Well, there's a message in that. Now, when you get over into John 10, this illustrated in the New Testament about as good as we can see it with the Good Shepherd. If you'll study those shepherds in the the Bible, these guys were skilled. That's why David carried a sling, a staff, those things, so that he could tend for the sheep. And so that staff would be used to rescue them. They would carry a flute to calm them down, to play on the flute. They would carry stones, not just to hurl at the enemy if an enemy came, but also to use to startle the sheep. Sometimes sheep, they do their own thing. Who's that sound like? You and me, right? Sometimes we, let's just be real. Sometimes we do our own thing. And, and so the sheep are that way. They'll just wander off. They'll get to eating and wander. They'll dig ruts out. And they'll just go back and forth and back and forth. You ever been there? 
You think, I ain't making no problem, I'm just going back. And all of a sudden, they'll be in a rut that they can't get out of. And the shepherd will come with his staff, pull them out of that rut. Or they'll be wandering toward the enemy or toward a cliff or a bluff. And they, these sheep will just keep eating and walk right off the bluff. No wonder you called us sheep, right? We, <laughs> until we get saved, we don't realize it. Then you look up and see what a bang-up job you were doing before you got saved, right? But then the shepherd will take his sling and throw that stone to get the sheep's attention to get it back into the fold. But sometimes sheep just keep wandering, and they're just ornery again. That's us, right? And it just kept wandering, and sometimes that shepherd will get that lamb, break its leg, Set that, set its leg, bind it up, and carry it until it can walk again. If God don't love us, nobody loves us. See, God's always got His eye on eternity. We don't. Sometimes we're stuck in this moment, and all we care about is us. Is anybody listening to me? What I want... I want some relief. I don't like it here. I don't like why God's got me here. All I want is my way. That's you and I just wanting our way. And God says, out there, I see what's coming. I've already been around the corner before you get there. And so God has a lot larger perspective than we do. And so He works in our lives like a good shepherd. And here He says... Come, let us return to the Lord, for He's torn, but He will heal us. He has stricken us, but He will bind us up. And after two days, He will revive us. And on the third day, He will raise us up that we may live in His sight. Now, that's prophetic. That's prophetic about those festivals I just told you about. Because after uh, trumpets and then Yom Kippur, that's at the end of the tribulation period, all of Israel is going to come back to God. The ones that are they're going to return. And then we're going to have what? Tabernacles. Where the Lord is going to come down here on earth. Jesus will be here in person on earth during the Feast of Tabernacles. During that thousand year reign. That's what he's referring to, to here. He says, this is prophetic. Where he says, after two days he will revive us. Listen to what he says. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. He didn't say His presence. We're in His presence now. But he, he, the prophet set His sight. This is prophetic. Because Moses said a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years. And he said that in Psalms when he was talking, in one of the Psalms when he was talking about uh, God's perspective on the end of time, on time in general. So when you get over to 2 Peter chapter 3, he pulls that, the Holy Spirit pulls that statement that Saul made, or that uh, Moses made, and reuses it there. And that whole chapter is about the end of time. So here's what I want to say to you. The Jews were scattered for two days. Or 2,000 years. God's whole plan is built on this seven-day plan. He, he created the earth in six days, rested on the seventh. The tabernacles... The millennial, that's the time of rest. God's built His whole plan around number seven. So the Israelites were scattered nearly 2,000 years ago. Now they've been coming home 
What'd they say? Let us return to the Lord. He, they're getting ready for the Lord to come back. And they're going to live in His sight. So there's two things happening here. And you've got to understand this with these prophets. They will give you a message. And they will also give you a prophetic glimpse into something God's come, got coming. All the prophets do that. There's a good word for all of us here. You can return to the Lord because He will heal whatever's broken. He will fix it. You can do that. But we all better be getting ready because the Lord's coming real soon and we will have to give an account of ourselves. Now, the best thing to do is to repent now. Now, let's go to Psalm 51. This is nowhere is it illustrated more clearly than a guy returning to God than right here. In Psalm 51, this is, was a private psalm until David had passed away. And then when he passed away, they made this psalm public. So this is between God and David uh, initially. And then David, God, or David had pinned this down. And God brought it out for all of us after that. And here it is. Here's a guy who's done horribly. He took another man's wife. Sent the guy to the front. Had him killed. Might as well have killed him himself. She was pregnant. She lost the baby. And David went through all of that. And it caused him a lot of heartache. A lot of hardship. He was a man after God's own heart. David, one of the things we learned with David's life that when he failed, he caused, it caused him to cling that much tighter to God. That's what failure should do for any of us. But sometimes people push God away more when they fail. And here's what he says. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. He's taking it on himself. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. 
Now, he needed forgiven. He needed to return. He is returning to the Lord. He's coming back humble. The other thing the Israelites did during this time of teshuva, they would make things right with one another. You've heard me say this before, but if you use the word shalom, if I say to Kirby, shalom, then Kirby knows two things. If I use that word shalom with Kirby, if I greet him that way, and I say shalom, then Kirby automatically knows two things when I say that. He, he knows that I'm saying to him that I'm good with God and I'm good with you. And if Kirby says shalom back, then I understand the same thing. Kirby's saying to me, I'm good with God and I'm good with you, Matthew. It's a wonderful greeting. Wonderful way to talk to each other. But if I say to Rob, shalom, and Rob says, hey, how you doing, man? <laughs> then right off the bat, I'm probably going to say, well, Rob might be having something good between him and God. Or maybe something's between me and Rob. Wouldn't that be beautiful if we could be that transparent? Then we could really help each other, couldn't we? If Kirby said, Shalom, Matthew, and I said, hey, man, how you doing? Kirby would say, hey, all right, man, what's up? Well, are we good? And I say, yeah, we're good. And he said, what about you and God? Well, me and God's at odds. <laughs> Wouldn't that be beautiful to be able to help people that quickly? To care, bear one another's burdens? To, what if we could train ourselves in this church to do that? What if we could just start using that word, Shalom? And it'll take a while to train ourselves to do that. But if we could use that with each other, then we, and if we would be transparent and, and give each other the opening there, right? And say, man, go ahead and test the water. If, if Rob says shalom to me, right? Or Colin comes up to me and says, shalom, pastor. And I say, hey, man, how you doing? Then Colin says, hey, man, is everything all right? Wouldn't that be beautiful if we could be that transparent with each other? That we could bear one another's burdens? That we would care each other that we consider one another lest we also be tempted man if if we could be a family if we could shalom each other he goes on he says restore to me the joy of your salvation uphold me with your generous spirit then i will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you because i will have experienced your forgiveness right that's what he's going to get He's saying, man, when I get it from you, I'm going to tell others about it. When we get that forgiveness. If you didn't recognize your sin and go repent over it, you wouldn't know Jesus as a Savior. And if you don't know Jesus as a Savior, you and I are in trouble. And the Bible says if we say we have no sin, we're a liar. So I say shalom. So he says, uh, Deliver me from the guilt of the bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure design. Build the walls of Jerusalem, then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with a burnt offering, with a whole burnt offering. They shall offer bulls on your altar. So those things are secondary 
to having a right heart. God wants us to have a right heart. He wants us to be right before. He wants us to have humility. So the prodigal illustrates returning as about as good as anybody, right? In the Bible. He gets out there in the pig pen. <clears throat> He's in a mess. But he remembers how good God is. See, that's what would draw us in, is the goodness of God. He remembers how good God is, his Father is, and so he turns and goes back. He comes back broken, humble, exactly how he should be. Right? And he comes back and says, I don't, I'm not worthy to be your son. Just make me one of the hired servants. Of course, the Father wouldn't have any of that. But his return... His turnaround and going back to the Father is what we all have to do at times. And if we would make a regular inventory, and you don't just have to do it this time of year, this is just a good time to reflect and remind yourself about it. Where have I let things slip? Where have I let things go? And God is asking us to return to Him. The best thing that will happen in our lives is when we see things that are out of the way. What did Paul say in Hebrews in another place? He said, let that which is lame be healed and turned back into the path. Now this is, I'll, I'll leave you with this thought because this guy's uh, he's part of our uh, congregation here. Stick man. Alright, stick man is in church tonight. And he's in the path going toward God. He's been born again. But sometimes stick man gets his eyes off God and he wanders around. And he gets part of him or some of him or all of him out of the path. So Paul's saying when you recognize that, let that be healed, repent, and bring that back into the path. When we get outside of this path, we put ourselves at risk. This path is what I call the pisteo path. That's the Greek word, the verb that means faith. We walk this path, stay focused on God, seek the kingdom first. All these other things will be brought into our lives at the right place in the right time if we let God orchestrate that. It's when we get something on our heart and we leave the path and chase it that we get in trouble. So you look at your life. Spend these next few weeks, you and I, looking at our lives, thinking about shalom and how that looks with you and your spouse, you and your own children, church brothers and sisters, extended Christian family. See how that looks to you. See how you say, I need to pick it up here, pick it up there. I need This is kind of out of the path. I need that healed and brought back in the path. This is a good time to get ready to stand before the Lord. Every one of us are going to stand before the Lord someday. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you for this season. As we step into this moment, we ask for your grace and mercy to be extended to us. And we thank you, Lord, that you have not left us to ourselves. We just pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will keep us and watch over us. Before we go off live here, let me say something to everybody. I want everybody to hear this. Last Saturday, the Lord visited me a few days ago. 
I spent about my whole Saturday, I had a couple things I had to do, but the rest of the time I spent in the book of Isaiah. If you go read the book of Isaiah, it's going to be like reading a newspaper about America. It's mind-boggling. We're just like Israel. But I heard these words from the Holy Spirit, and I heard them in a different way than I'd ever heard them before. Now I know, and my mother can testify this to you about a, a prophecy when I was a little boy that she got that I know I'm an end time preacher. I've known that my whole life. I am that terminal generation. I was born in 66. The terminal generation started in 67 when Jerusalem went back under the control of, of the Jews, left the hands of the, Jesus specifically said that. I understand all that. And I've been a prophetic student. I've studied prophecy. It's a third of your Bible. I've spent a lot of time learning prophecy and things about Jewish. You cannot understand New Testament prophecy unless you understand the Old Testament. And that's why I've been on a crusade to get the, the, the church now back, the New Testament church, to look at the Old Testament again. There's a reason why the whole Bible's there. <clears throat> But the Holy Spirit spoke to me Saturday, and I never had him say it to me this way. He said, it's time to warn the people. Now, I feel like I do warn people with the Scripture, but I feel like the Holy Spirit was saying to me, I want you to emphasize it. And then I started looking. Notice how many times Jesus warns us. We look at warning as a bad thing. But it's a good thing. It's preparation. If somebody warns me, can I say this like a good mountain boy? If there's a yaller jacket nest over there, <laughs> if there's a yaller jacket nest over there, and you're going to mow my lawn, and I don't tell you about it, and I know about it, that ain't good. How many times have you heard me say, that if the bridge is out down there and you know it, are you going to flag people down and tell them the bridge is out or are you just going to pass them on through? Warning people is not a bad thing. It's a good thing to get people prepared. That's what this whole season is about. Teshuva. Preparation. We get prepared by getting warned. And we don't have to be afraid. Warnings don't have to make us afraid. They, but they can prepare us and help us to be diligent. And stay on our toes and keep the most important things the most important things.